Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It is now 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to ponder the error of your ways. Any questions? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, and a recluse. I can't believe this is really happening to me. Before this day is over, they'll break the rules. Chicks <coughs> cannot hold their smoke. That's what it is. Bear their souls. I'm a nymphomaniac. Are your parents aware of this? Take some chances. Being bad feels pretty good. Huh? And touch each other in a way they never dreamed possible. Why'd you do that? Sonny, you wouldn't. Oh. The Breakfast Club. They only met once. I don't want to be alone anymore. You don't have to be. But it changed their lives forever. I mean, I consider you guys my friends. I'm not wrong, am I? Hey there, and welcome to Rewatchability, where the podcast where we rewatch old movies and TV shows to see how they hold up over time. My name is Blaine Waters. With me, as always, is Robert Larone. And joining us from the Turn Me On podcast is Bridie McLean. Hi there. Hey, welcome. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, my pleasure, absolutely. Uh, your podcast is part of the E1 network with us, so we're we're kind of buddies. Yeah, we're basically family. <laughs> exactly. So thanks for coming on and talking about The Breakfast Club, which we'll get into. I can't believe we haven't done this movie. Yeah. It's a big one. It's a big movie. It's a huge I can't movie. believe you haven't either. It's like, I would have thought it would probably be episode number one when I was looking back through them all. Yeah, but I know we we were like teen boys in the you know nineties, so I think we went for Ghostbusters and stuff like that. Yeah, when we first started, we're like we just want to talk about Die Hard every episode. It was <laughs> it was pretty bad. We've come a long way. Is what now I'm we're saying. ready to look back on the high school experience. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. this was everyone's high school experience, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. exactly like it. Yeah, everyone was a stereotype. I was a stereotype. Yeah. Which one? Well. <laughs> I was probably like the motorhead guy. You were into metal and stuff? Yeah, but I didn't I wasn't like a badass or anything. I just looked dirty. <laughs> Small town Ontario. <laughs> there you go. So, uh before we get into the podcast, we just wanted to say thank you to our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for giving one three five dollars. You get the podcast early, you get uh, bonus episodes of the podcast, mm-hmm. and you can request episodes of the of the podcast on patreon.com slash rewatchability. That's right. Last week we did a Patreon request for Muriel's wedding and we talked about it. We <laughs> we did. We talked about it. We tried to do Australian accents. We alienated everyone from Australia, basically. Yeah. It's bad. Listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can't donate, just tell a friend about the podcast. That'd, yeah. be, that'd be really wonderful. Spread the word. You're sitting in detention anyway. Right. What are you going to talk about? Your life problems? Yeah. Now How you parents can... don't understand you? <laughs> what uh, what stereotype you are? Yeah. Yeah. Bridie, if you had to be a stereotype from this movie, what one would it have been? That's a great question. I was really contemplating that on yeah. this morning. I'm definitely <laughs> somewhere between um, Ali Sheedy's character, the, the what it's like, the maniac, not the maniac, the... She's weird, like a proto-goth The or weirdo. Yeah. The weirdo, I think she is. The weirdo, the brain, and the princess. I was. I definitely thought I was like the princess, but I was probably more like the brain. And then, <laughs> and then I was the only theater kid in my school, so I was the weirdo as well. You're, you're from out east. Yeah. Where, where, which, uh, which town are you from? I'm not from a town. I'm from Malpec, Prince Edward Island. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, cool. there's, there's where no your town? oysters come from. Is that, do you know Anne of Green Gables? Oh, don't ask. <laughs> Everyone yeah, from PEI yeah. gets asked that I'm question. Sorry. I'm it's sorry. It's horrible. 
And you're talking to like a an actress from PI, so you can be guaranteed right. that I've definitely played her. You know, right? At like a point in my life. Well, it's our big like national character. I mean, like Anna Green Gables is huge in Japan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Definitely. They love her. Yeah. 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 She's Montgomery. everywhere. <laughs> I, I played her in uh, Barbados. What? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what's the story behind that? Just before we get into uh, Well, there's actually a huge Canadian expat community in um, Barbados. And so Canada Day, they wanted a little Anne down there for, for a big party at the mayor's house. So, yeah, I went down for a couple of days when I was about, I don't know, I must have been 18, 18 or 19. Played, and you, play, and you played wig. Anne? Was it like just co- like cosplay? Did you just go around and meet people as Anne Yeah, Gables? I went to the grocery store and <laughs> they sold McCain's potatoes and french fries. So I, I did that. I did a little like taste testing in the grocery store. And then I literally went and performed a scene in at the mayor's house for a big party that he had on Canada Day. You're like an ambassador for our nation. You betcha. You betcha. Just, Just exporting our, our culture everywhere. Yeah. Isn't the new Anna Green Gables TV series written by one of the writers from Breaking Bad? Yeah. yeah. Isn't she like Moira addicted Wallet. to meth? <laughs> She's the show, not addicted to the meth. The showrunner, actually. Actually, my friend Jenna works on that show, and they're casting right now for, for new characters, so get spread the word. Ooh. But not for <laughs> a new Anne. Not for not new Anne, no. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, Braddy, you could, you have experience. You could I could be Anne. What are you talking about? You, oh, I'm sure, Rob, you, you could be Anne too. Have you ever worn a red wig with braids? Who hasn't? Okay. <laughs> That's like right. Tuesday for Rob. I could also be the Wendy's character. <laughs> I think her name is Joan. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Or okay. Long stocking. Yeah. 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 There's a lot. There's a lot. Braddy, when did you first see this this movie? I'm going to say I was probably about. 12, 12 or 13. Okay. It was too old for me or I was too young for it. But I remember my, my stepmom bought it home. You know when you used to get DVDs or um, VHSs for Christmas and like mm-hmm. birthdays and stuff? It was oh, definitely yeah. a Christmas present and uh, my dad did not approve of the strong language in it, but I, I probably watched it like 20 times before Wait, I was 14 watch or 15. Did you Did your dad watch it with you? Uh, no, he would walk into the room at exactly the moment someone was swearing. And, uh, Parents are and so good at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure. <laughs> All like the sexy moments in a movie. Yeah. Would walk in and be like, oh, I don't I don't know. I yeah. know. My stepmom also bought me uh, Wayne's World. And we were watching that together. And there's like simulated sex. And I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. And, just, <laughs> <laughs> and then you climbed out of the window and never came back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Wayne's World is a sexy movie. <laughs> That's just it's one of the most erotic features out there. Oh man, Mike Myers? Yeah. Dana Carvey. <laughs> you remember that scene where he's like camera one, camera two, camera one, camera two, and he's over oh, top yeah. of her in Jess's underwear? That was yeah, the, yeah. That's, the, yeah. that's the simulated sex that I'm referring to. <laughs> it was. I think that's the worst simulated sex scene of all time. There's, there's no sex. <laughs> that's how I do it. <laughs> Just by falling on someone. It's going to accidentally happen. It's mostly falling. Yeah. <laughs> did it leave like a, a impact on you? Did Did you? For sure. Yeah. Okay. For sure. The breakfast up. I. I mean, that's why I watched it so many times. I think th- there was something really. Well, I had a. I, storylines for every character in the movie you know I had a relationship I think to every character in the movie and I tried to make make sense of my own junior high and high school experience by watching kids I thought that I thought were kids being like a little bit older than me and what their experience was and I came from such a small non-glamorous town and my school was so small that I just like I think I think I, I wanted to believe that like in real life, in real places, high school is like a little more like this. Yeah, I get that coming from a small town. Like, it doesn't quite seem like your world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's it's perfect. It seems like makes something kind of beautiful out of like what feels like horrible experience. Did you have a bad experience? Like, was high school something that you look back fondly on, or did you have to nah. go to detention on Saturday? <laughs> I never. I don't think it's like I don't. Does that actually happen? They need more than one staff member there. I'm sure. I, I don't know. You know, in, in the first draft of the script, there was more than one staff uh, member, but we'll, oh, we'll talk about that. Yeah, and they got taken out for for good reasons. For but budget. we'll we'll talk about that after the break. Okay. But, uh, All right. Rob, when did you first see this movie? 
Okay, so I have a confession. I never saw The Breakfast Club. Thank you. Oh, my. <laughs> Thank you. You're not welcome. You never saw this movie? So what? What are you going to do? Give me another week of detention, old man? <laughs> <laughs> you mess with the bull, you get the horns. <laughs> Try it. Try me. <laughs> yeah, I never saw this movie. It came out in 1985. Mm-hmm. It's like I was a year old at that point, so it, it just totally skipped over me. And by the time I was a teenager, there were teenager movies being made with teenagers who were closer to my age. Right. So I, I, it just totally skipped me. I have seen, of course, a lot of the other John Hughes movies. Um, We've done a lot of them on the podcast. We've collected a lot of them in the last little while, so I was definitely interested in finally catching up with this one. What about you, Blaine? <laughs> I watched this at a, at a pretty young age, and this is a big part of what's responsible for... like The, the first thing I wrote that was like a screenplay was a copycat version of this movie. Oh, my God. Definitely. It was like... Oh, that makes was, sense. Yeah. It was called The it Brunch makes, Club. <laughs> it makes sense because they're all archetypes, and like those, that's a really easy like muse, I would imagine... In, in writing to be like, what am I going to do? What am I going to get if I write these really pure archetypes and have them, you know, in like one location together yeah. over a and span you, of time? And you knew how to change them, right? Like you you saw that they were, you know, the jerk. And so they're going to come around at the end. You're like, you know, the smart snobby kid that's going to help somebody at the end. Like, I feel like the archetypes, you know how to how to manipulate a little bit better than... Mm. Characters you'd come up with on your own. Anyway, it was yeah. it was it was the best thing I've ever written. Uh, <laughs> obviously, you're still trying to get it produced. It had a lot of cutscenes to Blink One Eight Two songs and stuff like that. <laughs> it was it was very good. So this is the part where they play all the small things, <laughs> and then the two characters fall in love. Um, not this one character is me and the other character is the girl I like. But yeah, anyway, so it was it's pretty bad. And I like I had moments in high school that were exactly like this move. Like I was on an improv team in high school and we came to Toronto to play with the Devil's Advocates. Do you remember those guys? No. They were like an improv crew that did on uh, Speaker's Corner. They did like improv in the booth. Oh, okay. They tried to become the bare naked ladies of improv. I, I have no oh, anyway. Oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was terrible. So we came to do a show with them, and then on the way back, the bus broke down, and I was with. I don't remember any of this in Breakfast Club. <laughs> but I was with like the popular guy that was kind of like a sporty guy and like a popular girl and like a kind of outcast girl, and I was like the nerdy kid. So we were all there. What were the popular people doing on a bus with improv kids? Well, the improv like drama in my high school there there was more than one drama person, Braddy. I'm so sorry that that was your experience. Um, I was alone. So you're saying cool kids did drama in your school? It was a level playing field. Everyone from every clique was in the improv troupe. It was oh. a very weird thing. So, like, there were so many crossover people. Anyway, and so I remember, like, one of the girls just being like, I find it so – I have so much pressure on me to, like, remain cool and I'm so afraid of like fucking up and not being cool and like it's so hard being popular. No, I, it was the first time I, I actually understood her because I was like, I don't have that worry. Like yeah. I feel like an underdog all the time. I'm shit on every day of my life, no. and I guess I'm better for it. No, 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 no. I wasn't. Sh- I actually had like a really good high school experience, but I felt like the underdog, and so I felt like I was like, oh, I don't have to like impress anybody, even though I definitely wasn't the underdog. So anyway. I was like, oh, this is exactly like The Breakfast Club unfolding in real life because everyone talked about their archetypes a little bit. It was very very weird. Interesting. Anyway. The funny thing for me about this film is that from a very young age, whenever Emilio Estevez became a thing, I was obsessed with him. And he's like not my man crush in this film. But Emilio Estevez, look, I was in love with this one boy from kindergarten to grade 12. We went, we all went to school together forever. But then in grade seven, he like dated my best friend. And then they, you know, they dated all through high school and whatever. But I was secretly always deeply in love with him. And to me, he and Emilio Estevez were like linked in my mind. For some reason, they kind of looked similar. Um, Yeah. So I, I, Every time, even when I watch this now, I still feel like those, those little butterflies of first love. Wow. wow. For Emilio, the wrestler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was Jonathan a wrestler? Yeah, no, he wasn't. I don't even uh. remember him. 
That's the great thing about high school crushes, about how you completely forget about those people. Yeah, yeah. just disappeared after high school. Everybody They did. were archetypes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure, because yeah. how could you know someone like that? You just, like, know things about them, and then you, like project onto them the rest of your desires. When you're in high school, you can't really know another high school student unless you spend a Saturday in detention. <laughs> it's the only way to connect yeah, across com- peer groups. You have to completely change their life in, in, in three hours. I would have liked to see a scene in the movie where the principal sees them all going off and he's like, I've done a good job here. <laughs> I brought this entire group together. They, they ended. He ended with a buddy, too, didn't he? Didn't he bond with the janitor in the end? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so everybody had a gun friend. Everyone made yeah. a friend. Yeah. How wholesome. It's very nice. Yeah, this movie is wholesome? It's wholesome. <laughs> I don't know. Let's roll with wholesome. <laughs> we, will, we will dismantle wholesome as we talk about this movie. Rob, why don't you run down The Breakfast Club? Okay, so it's about these kids. They all have detention. It's on a Saturday, and they all have to go to detention. That's great. I think we did it. That's yeah. the fastest rundown we've ever had to yeah. do on this podcast. That's pretty much the whole of the experience. It's hard because this movie is kind of plotless. It's Wait, like waiting for still... Godot. Nothing happens twice. <laughs> you still haven't seen it, have you? Ah. <laughs> you didn't rewatch it? Another no. week in detention. <laughs> no, I watched it. Yeah. I mean, there are... As we said, the archetypes. I mean, this movie sort of looks at the characters more than the plot. It's sort of an examination of and breakdown of these stereotypes. So we have, yeah, mm-hmm. the jock, Emilio Estevez, yeah, or the, the Sport-O, as they call him. <laughs> Sport-O. Yeah, Hughes is really great with, with the vernacular of teens. <laughs> Sport-O. That's, that's how they talked back in the 80s. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm so certain. There's also Molly Ringwald, of course, plays Claire. Mm-hmm. And we have Ali Sheedy as the sort of gothy, pale, weirdo kid who doesn't speak to anybody. Mm-hmm. And Judd Nelson, of course, as Bender, who is the douchebag. <laughs> he's, the, he, he's the undercover cop he's the in the criminal. high school. He's his, the criminal archetype. Right. Yeah. What crimes was he supposed to have committed? Uh, looking like he's 30 and playing a teenager. <laughs> yeah. He he's only 24 years old and he's the he's the oldest actor in this movie, but he looks like he's 40 in this movie. Well, he has like a streak of gray hair. That's yeah. because he he saw a ghost. <laughs> so I think, I think that's what really did it for him. It was the ghost of his youth. <laughs> Is this what I was like when I was a kid? <laughs> My office right across that hall. Any monkey business is ill-advised. Any questions? Yeah, I got a question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Give you the answer to that question, Mr. Bender, next Saturday. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. That man is a brownie hound. I have to say that his character did set a bit of a bar for me in terms of like what I find consistently. I find his archetype sexy throughout life. Like people that I meet, you know, that's always the ones that are just like real rough around the edges, but have a little bit of tenderness. (laughs) How much tenderness? He had very little tenderness. Yeah, we'll talk but about that. you could see it. You could see it. You could see there was something going on between him and Molly, and and there was some chemistry there. There was something tender there. All He's right. just a big softie inside the homophobic, sexually assaulted. <laughs> he was guillotine lockered bad boy. Yeah. Yeah, you can't get away with that shit now. No. <laughs> no. What's the deal with writing scripts like this now? Like, if you want to, if you want to be like, okay, but this, these, you know, these, this exists. Obviously, this is these are all characteristics. People For are sure. racist, and people are homophobic, and people are sexist. What's the, what's the like? What's it like to write in a time like that? Well, I think you have to be a lot more careful. This movie, I think, you know, for better or worse, it doesn't really judge. The characters, the, mm. the children, mm-hmm. as they're mm-hmm. supposed to be. Like, I think a movie now would have some sort of moral mechanism so that, you know, he gets his comeuppance for saying homophobic things or he learns in and, a big way. And that's the that's the thing. I mean, 
Bridie, uh, your friend Jenna, I, I wrote a script for her. She's a director at, at yeah. Piet, and we worked on a script that was very difficult. It was it was about the the Me Too movement, and for to to write those characters is so difficult because they have to, like you were saying, Rob, they have to get their comeuppance. They have to do they. Well, they. Anyway. I, I feel like they have to. There has to be. We want them to. There has to be a moral center to the movie. Like, and not necessarily yeah. the the character, but to the movie. And right. so, if if like if you're watching that and you're like, oh, the main character in American History X is horrible, and we know <laughs> that, but like, the what's m- wrong with him, Blaine? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> but but not only does he change and get comeuppance uh, for for his his crimes and his racism, but but the movie seems to be saying something about him and about. And about racism in general, right? So I think yeah. I think that's where we're going. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Th- this movie didn't really have that. No. <laughs> it wasn't really a thing at the time. No. But so they all have detention on a Saturday. They got to be there for eight hours. And the principal or the assistant principal, Principal <laughs> Vernon, yeah. he's given them an assignment to write a thousand words about who they think they are. Yeah. Who do you think you are? I think he just said that to them as he was like giving them detention, and then he was like, "That'd be a good title for the essay." Yeah. <laughs> like, doesn't have a creative bone in his body. No, he didn't plan for this. He doesn't have a lesson. You know, he's just like he's just fucking with these kids. Yeah, they're not supposed to talk. They're not supposed to study. They're just supposed to be working on this essay. But after a while, I guess. Bender is the one who sort of instigates it because he... The provocateur. He's the provocateur. He comes in, you know, first Anthony Michael Hall is sitting in a seat and he sort of scares him away and takes his seat and then like takes another chair and does like a lie down thing. Yeah. And then he's like yelling with principal and so he sort of... (laughs) Like marking his territory. The scene where he's like pissing on everything is really weird. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he's going to pee in the library. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. But everybody else seems pretty content to just do their time, write their essay, and then that'll be that until he starts misbehaving. Yeah. And bringing them together. <laughs> this is what uh, hate can do. It can bring people together. So, are you guys like boyfriend girlfriend? Steady dates? Lovers? Come on, Sporto. Level with me. Do you slip her the hot beef injection? Go to hell! Enough! (laughs) What's going on in there? He, like, antagonizes pretty much everyone and exposes their kind of character and flaws at the same time. Yeah. And gets them defending each other, too, right? Yeah, it's all about, like, Emilio Estevez, you always take orders, and Anthony Michael Hall, you're... Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> you got braces, kid. Yeah. You're a parent's wet dream. Yeah. Yeah, he has that big speech where he's like, another banner day at the Bender household. <laughs> That's to this day is in my brain. I used to just like repeat that whole spiel back and like forth to entertain my friends. That whole like, <laughs> that, like that like, how would you like to go fishing this weekend? That part? Yeah. Let's hear it. Oh, uh, okay. Son? Yeah, Dad? How's your day, son? Great, Dad. How's yours? Great. Say, son, how'd you like to go fishing this weekend? Sounds great, Dad, but I have homework to do. That's okay, son. You can do it on the boat. <laughs> Perfect. That's, that's great. I'm we don't have to throw the clips now. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really funny. I, I thought I thought we were gonna we were gonna say yeah you should do it. And then you're gonna be like ah, uh, you know no. that's what we do on the podcast all the time. We, we like I usually warm up. I got to do some vocal exercises. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a podcaster. I live for the sound of my own voice. <laughs> yeah, the principal is watching them, but they manage to get a little bit of privacy. Mm-hmm. Bender takes a screw from the door that keeps it open so it shuts. And then the principal sort of goes off and sort of leaves them on their own while he gets to know the janitor. Yeah. yeah. The principal kind of locks a Bender in solitary, too. Yeah, that's, oh, that's right. right. Which is horrifying. He he takes a kid, the poor kid, into the – not poor kid. I mean the kid is, a, is an asshole. But he takes him into the room and, like, threatens him with violence. Yeah. 
Uh, well, this was the 1980s. It was still okay to threaten a kid with violence. <laughs> Up until right. 1983, you could actually enact that violence. As right. long as you use the measuring stick. Yeah. I feel like this teacher had like this uh, had like PTSD from Nam or something. Like it's it's the 80s. He could have gone. Like, I just feel he's so mean and so like I'm going to teach you what life's really like, you know? He's a bit over the top, but we do see a little bit of the other side later when he's commiserating with the janitor. They talk about what his story is and how he came to be that person. The janitor is like, yeah, you just thought that it would be a fun job and you'd get vacations in the summer, but then you found out that you had to work. And now it's not so fun, is it, mister? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bet you wish you were mopping floors like me. <laughs> <laughs> the wise old janitor. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't help but think of uh, Not Another Teen Movie when we were watching this movie because there's so many touchstones yeah. for, for that movie. Yeah. I was just laughing just thinking about that movie. So uh, the, the principle really changes in that scene because – he he's like these are the kids that are gonna like I'm so afraid for the next generation these are the kids gonna take care of me yeah. when I'm old and then the other guy's like no they're not like not if you treat them this way kind of thing yeah and I, I thought that was like a clever kind of turnaround for the for the principal I liked that yeah uh, but they that's get- weird though like he thinks that <laughs> Emilio Estevez and Judd Hirsch are gonna take care of him like give him sponge baths. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old and dirty. I need a sponge bag. Grab the That's sponge, Emilio. The, the reuniting. That's going to be the part two of the oh, yeah. 20 years later. No, well, there was supposed later. to be, I read that there was supposed to be, like, this was supposed to be the first of, like, a prequel. Mm. They were going to do, like, a boyhood thing and do, like, one every 10 years or something like that. Interesting. That's what they intended? Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The second one would be called Lunch Club. <laughs> the third one would be called Dinner Club. Yeah. I think that is a movie. The dinner club, probably. Yeah, they stole it. But they all get high, and this is where they really connect, right? Yeah, they let their hair down a little bit. Everybody partakes. Oh, fucking Emilio Estevez. First, he doesn't seem like he's cool with the green, but then he like <laughs> he's hotboxing in an office, and then he does like some sort of like Kevin Bacon footloose karate dancing. He looks it's a lot like Kevin amazing. Bacon. Amazing! <laughs> it's so good. I love the way they climb around in the in the library. Like they really use the space. They're great. It's yeah. it's so funny, but it does feel kind of like the like a high school director exactly what you said, being like use the space, you yeah. know, like <laughs> explore the space, students. We need some levels in this scene. <laughs> yeah, like climb up onto the staircase. And meanwhile, the the lawyers in the background are like, don't do that, please, don't do that. <laughs> But it's true that kids love sitting uncomfortable places where you're like, why, how, why are you perched on that? You know. Do you, yeah. did you catch that moment where uh, the geek is like sitting on the railing of the stairs, but he's got his <laughs> yeah. butt and his like heels together? Do you know what I mean? Like he's got yeah, his, he's, he's, he's like Nightcrawler. <laughs> it's, I've never seen his, anyone sit like that in my entire life. That his legs are happen. like a V over the railing and he has his, his arms wrapped around his feet. Yeah, you're just just floating. Very gargoyle esque. Yeah, but kids, kids do do that. Yeah, because they're they're you know they don't have aches and pains. (laughs) That's why they have aches and pains later. (laughs) All the all that sitting on rails that I did, it's really coming back to haunt me now. I bet they're behind their knees. But we find out why all these people have been sentenced to detention, Mm -hmm. and some of them are pretty serious. Yeah, like. Little Anthony Michael Hall, he brought a gun to school. It was a flare gun. I mean, I don't think that's much better. <laughs> I think he still was planning to, like, hurt himself with it, wasn't he? Yeah. Like, wasn't that the plan? Okay. Yeah, that was the plan. Also, that seems like a terrible idea. Well, a terrible way to go. I feel like it's a, ugh, it's a cry for help, and it's literally sure. a device that's used to cry for help. Like... It's oh. it's the most on the nose thing that he could have chosen yeah. to kill himself with. And the reason why he was contemplating suicide is because he got an F in shop class because he couldn't make a an elephant light or and, something. And now his his whole his whole average is going to be a B because of that. Yeah. And yeah. on one hand, I was like, that's stupid. But then I sort of remembered like how dramatic high school was. Yeah. And. Uh, how often they found that flare gun in my locker? <laughs> <laughs> you were just you just worked for the Coast Guard in high school. Yeah, was I was <laughs> rescue services. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Rob. 
Molly Ringwald's there because she skipped school to go shopping. Yep. Emilio Estevez is there because, oh, that's right, because he uh, beat the shit it. out of a kid. <laughs> yeah. He taped his buns together. I know, and that's the part he leads up with. Like, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I taped his buns together. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Weird. Okay. High school students are weird. But then it's like, yeah, I, I was in the locker room and I uh, decided to beat the shit out of him and then yeah. I taped his bun shut. You, you didn't lead with that? You really buried, <laughs> buried the story here. I taped Larry Lester's buns together. <laughs> that was you? Yeah, you know? Yeah, I know. Well, then you know how hairy he is, right? Well, when they pulled the tape off, most of his hair came off and some, some skin, too. Oh, my God. And the bizarre thing is that I did it for my old man. I tortured this poor kid because I wanted him to think that I was cool. Yeah, and Judd Nelson, obviously, for... for Actually, what did he do? I'm not sure if he did something specific. It might have just been that he has been like he's there every week because right. he's he, just the general. He can't remember what he did. It was so long ago. Well, and every time that he argues with the assistant principal, he gets, he gets another ones. week on. Yeah, you know, so he's uh, going to be there till he's 25. And then my favorite is Ali Sheedy. He's just like I didn't have anything better to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I thought that was funny. You didn't like that, Rob? Uh, I mean, I just don't believe it. Yeah. Why would she? Well, do she's that? a compulsive liar. Right. She says. Oh, yeah. She says that. But you oh, know, her, so her so you're saying that we know. shouldn't believe her? Well, why? Well, that's what she said. I mean, people tell you yeah. who you are, who they are. You should listen. Unless she was lying about being a compulsive liar. I mean, and that's where it gets really <laughs> tricky. How do you ever really know? Yeah, I think you have to ask her if the person next to her would tell the truth. Oh, no, that's, that's, I don't know. But anyway, the end, they all kind of come together, even though they argue and cry. Well, and- there's this pivotal moment where Anthony Michael Hall is like, hey, are we going to be friends after this? Yeah. And then uh, everyone's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're popular and you're not. So, I mean, it's a really heartbreaking scene because... Molly Ringwald, who has been sort of a good person up until this point, mm-hmm. she says, well, you know, you're not really... Yeah? You know, it just wouldn't work. There's Pressure so many... popularity. You know, and yeah. it's, like, heartbreaking. Yeah. And then Ali Sheedy goes through a whole change. She gets the she's all that treatment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden she's attractive. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That's, that really, was... that's really sad when Emilio's like, oh, I never really recognized you before. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. Yeah. I mean, she was looking pretty cool to begin with, with her Joan Jet haircut, and yeah. you know, she's like ahead of her time. I know. She, and she just like made some really random noises all through the movie too, right? Like she didn't really say much, and then sometimes she just like like squeal in the background. <laughs> yeah. you know? Dolphin what? noises. What was that? Yeah, she was communicating, just not. In she any mostly language. talks through echolocation. <laughs> So they all kind of change each other. They get in the Judd Nelson makes out with Molly Ringwald in front of her parents. Yeah, which I'm like, why? Why are her parents just sitting there and cool with this? Yeah, like her dad would flip if if it was Judd Nelson making out with his daughter. You know? Yeah, I I mean, I feel like that's just like the cross a parent has to bear is that at one point you're going to be picking up your kid and they're going to be making out with somebody and then you're just like oh shit (laughs) that's fair my dad definitely drove me and my boyfriend to the movies once we just made out the back seat and he and i and my dad my poor dad driving just like i don't even know i don't even know what he must have been thinking oh my so you never talked to him about that no <laughs> Definitely not. I was probably fifteen. Oh man, that's I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm closer to understanding dads than teenagers for right sure. Now. <laughs> like I don't know what I, I don't know. Like turn the inside <laughs> cabin light on. Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know what I do. When you're a teenager, you don't have any awareness of you know what's making other people uncomfortable. I totally believe that she would just full-on make-out with him for 20 minutes while her dad waits in the car. Yeah, I guess. And then she gives him her earring, her diamond earring, which I can only assume is bail money for when he goes to jail. <laughs> yeah, that's like, right. Like, come and see me when that. you get out. Yeah. Yeah, and then we have the freeze frame at the end where he's like, you know, they... Yeah! And they get the poor nerd to write the whole essay. That's right, yeah. Oh. Wait, did he write it for everybody? Yeah. Well, I don't think it really counts because it wasn't a thousand words. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, this is what the movie doesn't clear up. It doesn't tie this loose end that, presuming the principal is going to be pissed off, all these kids are going to be back in detention. Oh, maybe that's the plan. Maybe then they get to, like, enjoy each other's company for the rest yeah. of the school year. Like, they'll, ne- they'll always be friends. That's the breakfast club. Now <laughs> it's a club. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So that's the that's the breakfast club. That's we live the rundown. a little. We learn a little. And we love a lot, you know? A little. <laughs> okay. Just love a little. We're going to be back with some trivia and behind the scenes right after this break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Rewatchability. We are with Bridie McLean from the Turn Me On podcast, and we are talking about The Breakfast Club. Thanks so much for joining us again. And uh, I'm going to ask some trivia questions now for you guys. Was this a test? It's it's a little bit of a test. I'm not participating. Fuck you, man. (laughs) Is that that how you were in high school, man? No. You just didn't do any... No. (laughs) Bridie, I assume you were like an A student. I was like a B student. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Were uh-huh. you a B student, Rob? What, what were... yeah, you know, I started with like some Bs and then I got like a little bit closer to the A's. Nice. And then uh, there was like a little bit of a decline. OAC? <laughs> yeah. When, when you found pot? You're... <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. I found spare periods. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. I okay. discovered spare periods and making out. I think that was <laughs> the big problem for my grades towards the end of high school. Oh, God. <laughs> I discovered that when you are the student council president, like I was co-student council president with my best friend, you can walk out of any class at any time and just be like, I have student council things to do. Wow. Oh, my God. What? That's a terrible abuse of power. That Yeah. Mm-hmm. All you, all you learn is how to abuse your powers. Politician in high school. It's awful. Okay, so Nicolas Cage and John Cusack. We're out for one role on this movie. What role was it? John Bender. I'm going to say Claire. <laughs> Rob, you are wrong. It was Bender. It was, what? It was Bender for both. I kind of can see uh, Nicolas Cage doing it yeah, maybe uh-huh. but John Cusack and John Cusack age. too I can see it I don't he's I not like edgy John enough Cus- I can see why he exactly. didn't get the role yeah, but yeah, yeah. I could see why he'd be considered plus he's yeah. a name or maybe he mm-hmm. wasn't at the time yeah he I think he got edgier as he grew up but I could definitely see Nicolas Cage freaking out yeah like, it was a bender <laughs> a banner day at the bender household but he does, he has zero sex appeal and there's something about him uh, what's his name this actor that does Judd Nelson yeah. It does. So I you, think so. Th- there's a little bit of, yeah, because I was watching it with my wife and she was like, ah, oh, I don't find him attractive at all. There's no chemistry with him and any of the, and I was like, really? Interesting. Because I feel like he was a little, a little bit of like a, a heartthrob touchstone for, for <laughs> which school. one? Who are we talking about? Uh, uh, Bender. Yeah, no, totally. And I don't know why. Now I'm looking at him like he kind of looks, he does not look good now. I mean, in my opinion. He's not handsome. He's just tall. Yeah, yeah, he's tall. He's rough. I don't know. I don't know yeah, like. he's he's <laughs> bad boys. He's bearded. He looks yeah. Give Anthony Michael Hall a chance. <laughs> now, to be honest, he's pretty cute too. I mean, he's he's pretty sweet and he's he's yeah. soft, you know. But apparently, <laughs> soft. I read that a soft landing while he's. Well. I have no. I have no limit. <laughs> Really? While he's while he's landing on you, while he, you know in the Wayne's World <laughs> yeah. sex scene, he's soft. He would be fine. <laughs> okay, so my next question: What actor was almost fired multiple times from set? What actor was almost fired? Yeah, multiple times from set. Everyone didn't get along with him. I'm going to say Estevez. Oh, you're kind of. I I understand why you say that because the whole uh, article about the Brat Pack. He was like 
Rolling Stone did an article about him. He's a brat. And was like, yeah, he's such a brat. But they're (laughs) all so self-entitled little brats. But it was not Emilio Estevez. Oh, man. Wait, was it? I hope it was the teacher. Was it the teacher, the principal? No. No, it was not. It was Judd Nelson. again. He was. What? He was being a method actor. You know? Oh, no. And he was really mean to people on set, and especially Molly Ringwald. She phoned the director and was like, you have to fire Judd Nelson because they had a really tight relationship. John Hughes wrote this this role for Molly Ringwald right. and other roles for Molly Ringwald. Yeah. So she was like, you got to fire Judd Nelson. He's being really mean. Judd Nelson was really mean to her. He offset when he was trying to be in Bender character, made fun of the fact that her dad was blind. Like what? He was just a horrible person. On set, so I can understand why she, why he was almost fired, and why she pushed to get him fired. Wow, yeah, it's not, it's not very nice. I don't mean to be a jerk, but when somebody tells me that someone is a method actor and I'm familiar with their work, you you almost always are like, yeah, I could see that. (laughs) Like, I just don't skills are, yeah. Yeah. Do you find that those are always good acting moments? Because I, I find that the more someone is method, it works for some actors, but for most actors, it's just like, why did Jared Leto need to be method for the Joker? Like, I was just like, he's it, just a dick. It didn't need to happen. No one needed that. I just feel he, like being a method actor is kind of being a dick. It's just a license to be a dick on set. Yeah. Well, you got to be careful how you cast them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. A lot you're going to set free. I think, like, the idea that, like, your character is so important that it has to break out of the matrix of fiction (laughs) (laughs) is a little bit pretentious, you know? Yeah. Or if you need to be method, maybe just go somewhere else and do it alone, you know? Yeah. Like, uh... For for Lincoln, like Daniel Day Lewis, yeah, he went elsewhere and did those things and didn't want to talk to anyone. Was very in his own world. Yeah, but didn't he also like take the cab back to the hotel as Lincoln? <laughs> and like, didn't he like text his as Lincoln? Is very... <laughs> what is this Twitter? This is very Foscore. And um, so so screw method actors is what I'm saying. All right, which Canadian actor was originally cast? And then fired as the janitor. Canadian actor? Yeah. Uh, As the janitor in this movie. I'm trying to think of Canadian actors. Uh, Paul Gross. It was Paul Gross. It was definitely not Paul Gross. It was, um, I'm totally blanking on his name, but he does Schitt's Creek now. Eugene Levy? Eugene Levy. Levy. It was, that's so close. It was Rick Moranis. Oh, Oh, of course. And Rick Moranis came in to play this character. He the the whole thing is that this janitor went to this high school, mm-hmm. right? He has this picture at the very beginning. We see Man of the Year as a picture from the high school. Right. He was going to become something, and then he's still the janitor. This high school was is the message of his character. And Rick Moranis played the character as a Russian janitor with gold teeth <laughs> that uh, that had keys that would dangle on his crotch that he would keep on like thrusting his crotch into to make them bounce that, that was that, was his, that was his audition that was that was how he got hired and that was how he showed up to play it and they were like we can't have that and he was like that's the way i want to do it uh, so they hired someone else wow that yeah. man is a legend that would have been a very a different role for sure a very different like uh twist on the film it i think the thing is is that it's very much in line with what the film was this film mm-hmm. was a, very much like a porky's uh type right not like john hughes wrote for national lampoon and uh, we'll talk about that in in a second. But he uh, was very much like a you know late night comedy guy. Yeah. And his his whole vision, like there was a scene in this movie that Molly was like, I don't want that scene in this movie where the principal not only is he making friends with the janitor, but he's spying on the swim coach right uh, in the locker room as she or uh, in you the can't pool have as she a John Hughes naked. movie without a little bit of voyeurism. Yeah. And he's kind of like watching her be naked for a lot in this movie. And so they had to cut out those scenes. <laughs> had to cut out that hour and a half of the film. <laughs> <laughs> well, this movie was two and a half hours, the initial the initial thing. So oh there's a lot God, on the cutting room. That's pretty wild. 
I know, yeah. And so there's a, there's a lot on the cutting room floor. And well, that's the John Hughes style of overwriting everything and then just cutting it back. Yeah, like he did the same thing with Ferris Bueller. I can see that. That's pretty dense. There's a lot going on in that movie. I read that the janitor had an awkward moment on set because he was telling this story about method acting. He's like, don't don't overact or you'll have a heart attack, just like Martin Sheen did on Apocalypse Now. And then Emilio Estevez was really offended because Martin Sheen's his dad. Right. (laughs) Yeah, but he didn't know that because Sheen and Estevez. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. apparently when the actor was doing a guest appearance on The West Wing mm-hmm. later, he told Martin Sheen that story, and Martin Sheen laughed at it. So oh, it sort of made it okay. That's nice. <laughs> that's nice. That's good. The last question, this is the impossible question. There was a present that John Hughes gave all the cast. And what was that? What was that present? Uh, uh, a career? <laughs> yeah. That's uh, pretty good. Jeez, I'm trying to think of like, Thing, do you give him weed? Oh, that would have been good. Yeah. <laughs> Just hawk box the studio. Here's 16 yeah. year old Anthony Michael Hall. Have some weed. Was he only 16? Yeah, the only two cast members who were not like mid 20s were Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall, who yeah. were the same age. Yeah. Did they ever have a relationship, those two? In fact, <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, they had a relationship after this movie. I thought for so. A sh- for a short little while, yeah. Yeah. Because they, they bonded there. on this movie, you know? They bonded. It's yeah. nice. They became friends. Well, I'm just glad that she didn't end up with Bender. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after he was a dick to her? Like, what happens in this movie? <laughs> There's a bunch of like little cameos and stuff too. Like uh, John Hughes has a cameo in this in this movie oh, yeah. as, as one of the dads picking up his oh, daughter. Cool. And there's also Anthony Michael Hall's real mom and sister play his mom and sister in that scene. Great cameos. Yeah. Are She's they actual a bitch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And the mom isn't very nice either. No. It's, uh, it's Oh yeah. <laughs> no, no. The little girl's all right. The little girl, she's like, "Yeah." It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's so it's so bitchy. Just just a window into Anthony Michael Hall's world. <laughs> yeah, like you got to get this part, Anthony. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> stay ahead of it, sis. Ugh. <laughs> Molly Ringwald also uh, for the behind the scenes portion of this. She became out a little while ago as a little critical of right. not only this movie but of but of John Hughes. Yeah, in general, and that whole, like, genre of movies in the 80s. Yeah, and I read her New York Times article. I listened to This American Life episode that she she did. Right. Where she rewatched this movie with her daughter. And, Brady, you watched it, like, 12, 13 is what you said, right? Yeah, yeah. She watched this with her daughter when her daughter was 10. That's child abuse. Not child abuse. It's child abuse. All her, the daughter said all her friends had seen it, and she wanted to watch it, but not with her friends because her mother was in it. She wanted to watch it in the safety of yeah. her own home with her mom. Yeah. I get that. You don't want to see your mom's underwear with your friends. No. Well, that's the thing. There's there's a, a few moments that are a little, you know, risque and, and weird. Yeah. In this movie, the, the upskirt shot is one of them, which uh, it's – it's difficult because Molly watching this with her 10-year-old, the 10-year-old just flew over all of that, didn't care about any of that. But when Molly Ringwald asked her asked her daughter, what character do you think you're closest to? She said, I'm closest to Anthony Michael Hall. She was like, why? And she's like, I feel a little pressure sometimes from my parents to do good in school. And then it like blew up on the podcast. We, we might cut to a clip here of that. You kind of feel like Brian? Do. He's really sweet, isn't he? I know, but you kind of like sometimes pressure me in school. <laughs> Wait, you think I I pressure no, you? Ba- barely, like. Wow, really? No, not <laughs> anymore. No, take it off. Wait, 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 no, 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 no. Tell me, tell me. Oh, hey, <laughs> hey, no, it's okay. No, 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 sweetie. It's it's weird that the sex stuff didn't like come up and it didn't become a conversation because maybe at that age it just you don't know much about it so it flies over your yeah. head yeah but it it's a conversation for us and <laughs> as adults because it's is it it, it is <laughs> it is a little 
I didn't expect that much. Like I didn't remember the the panty shot of this teen. Like it's not. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's an older woman. That does this. That steps in for this shot. Obviously, yeah. Otherwise, but the point is, is that like it's a scene where somebody basically sexually assaults somebody, and then it's like not really given any sort of weight, and then the character falls in love with the person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is this is this as problematic to you, Brady, as it is to us, <laughs> or are we just taking this too far? Um. It's hard to. I don't know. I, I watch the stuff sometimes, and I and like when I rewatch this, I you know he he they use some language in it that you, you can't throw around. And uh, oh yeah, I mean I he has the word know. "fag" written on his locker. Yeah, 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 and the R word which you can't say anymore either. And I don't know. I find I find it puzzling. I think about it a lot as an actor and as you know someone who who wants to write and be like, well, you know, like. What what are the ways you can use these things in a I don't know an artful way? It doesn't offend me when I when I watch this. I don't know if it would offend me if I watched it in like a really contemporary movie, like a brand like a new brand spanking new movie. But right. like I definitely it it takes me out of it for a minute every every time I hear mm-hmm. something that I I have to wonder if that offends somebody. It doesn't offend me, but it, it I do get taken out of the story a little bit. When I, yeah. when I have to think about those things. I feel like it's one of those things, like, this movie is depicting an era where that was the way people talked. And mm-hmm. if it wants to be honest, it sort of has to depict that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it could have shown some pushback. But honestly, there wasn't a lot of pushback at that time yeah, for that no. sort of language. If you did it now, then it would be totally different. Because if you say those words in public or to people then they will they will let you know that it's not acceptable Mm -hmm. or appropriate or that it's wrong or that you're wrong so it's not really that much of a problem i think you can still write like characters who do bad things and who say hateful things and who are mean to people i don't think not writing those characters is what most people are asking for but i do think that this movie was made at a time where people were uncritical about those things and you know they should have been critical about them because uh you know people got hurt by those sort of things and it was interesting cuz i read the molly ringwald article as well and she tells a story where she was leaving a party and a person came up to her who was queer and a person of color mm-hmm. and said just thank you the breakfast club saved my life it meant so much to me and she was like why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has no people of color. It has no queer people. It's just a bunch of straight white people in a room pretending like the world is oppressing them. <laughs> but, but the person was like, well, I mean, like I felt those things that those characters felt, the isolation, the alienation, the mm. pressure, and that was real to me. So the other stuff, it didn't quite mean the same thing. It could yeah. be sort of ignored or, you know, I don't know, negotiated with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's I mean we've all been teenagers we've all like been outsiders at some point or felt like afraid of being an outsider yeah and we've all been bullies probably too oh yeah for sure yeah. And, oh man and th- oh no yeah. <laughs> I'm John Bender <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and I think John Hughes was writing for teens in a, in a time where teens weren't being written for. Yeah, that's another thing that Molly Ringwald says in her essay. Like she sort of it's a really good essay. She yeah. details like the whole sort of cinema history of teen movies yeah. from PSAs in the 60s that are so cheesy that you can't take them seriously to Porky's and stuff like that which is exclusively sort of marketed towards horny young males. Mm-hmm. And then finally, this other teen movie, which actually tries to, like, look at them at their level and have some empathy for them and depict them in a sort of honest and non-judgmental light. And that's, like, a big step forward. Is it the final step? It doesn't have to be. Well, and and it definitely wasn't. I mean, the market now is so saturated with different things that I think for a lot of groups of people, there is content for for them. Oh, Um, yeah. and, And you can look to that content. I guess the thing is when you're writing for teens or for kids, you kind of have to be careful because they're really impressionable, you know? 
Yeah, but then you hear Molly Ringwald with her 10-year-old and the sex stuff wasn't impressed upon her, you know? I feel like there is impressionable, but there is also, I think, kids are really resilient, too, at the same time. Yeah, but you don't know. Molly Ringwald's kid could be fucked up now. (laughs) Oh, I think she's raising an all right kid. (laughs) She puts too much pressure on them. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to bring a flare gun to school. (laughs) You'd be naturally, like, pressured by having a famous parent probably yeah well and that's what that's what molly ringwald said too is it like her her parent put a lot of pressure on her said that molly ringwald's brother died at one point and her mom was like i wanted to die and i thought that i'm here for a reason and that was you and so you're the reason that i'm still around and it was like such incredible pressure on molly ringwald to become something Uh, yeah So if if a, only a little bit of pressure goes on to Molly Ringwald's kids, uh, then that's, you know, she's doing a good job. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But I also, in that article, Molly outlines the stories that John Hughes wrote for the National Lampoon. Mm-hmm. And I was just taken aback at, at some of the stories uh, just in that day and age, what what they were about. They were all just like really – Sex not positive and really, you know, homophobic, and, reactionary. Yeah, they were very weird. And now I, now I can't help but see his movies in that light. Like I read that article before I watched the movie, and The Breakfast Club has totally changed for me now. It feels like it's a, a little bit of like this is how to be normal instead of like this is a group of outcasts. You know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's go around and, and say whether we thought this movie was rewatchable. Brady, what did you think? Yeah, I'm really glad. It's one of those movies that I definitely have seen a minimum of 20 times and then reached a point where I was like, I never need to watch that movie again. But I'm really <laughs> I'm really glad I did because there was a lot of little sweet memories that came up as I went through it again. I would highly recommend, especially if you haven't seen it, just watch it. Yeah. Don't you forget about this movie. <laughs> don't. 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 You've been waiting uh, a whole hour to... I've, yes, that's the only reason. I've been waiting this whole podcast we've been doing for 362 <laughs> episodes. Talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rob, what about you? Do you think this movie is rewatchable? I don't know. I think... Having not seen it before, I sort of felt like I was in detention having to watch it. <laughs> and I think that there's a lot of like good stuff that happens, but it's also a movie, I think, either because it's been aped so many times or it has influenced so many other films that I think there are other movies that maybe do it in a way that I prefer. However, like after reading Molly Ringwald's essay... Mm-hmm. It sort of changed my opinion about some of it because I do sort of see more where John Hughes is coming from and what he was trying to do and what this movie did that other movies at the time didn't do. So I thought that was really neat. It's probably a rewatchable movie, but I just think I missed the boat on this one. Mm. What about you, Blaine? It was it was a hard rewatch, honestly, because of Molly's essay and the behind the scenes that I was doing. I I, I feel like it, I think this is not totally rewatchable. And uh, this is a classic movie. I think this movie trades on the nostalgia factor more than it does on like I, people that have watched it hundreds of times like you have, Brady. Like I, I think it I think that's when it becomes something really special. But mm. w- without that and with not being a teen, I mm. feel like it's I didn't really enjoy rewatching it. Hmm. Um, so I'm going to say mildly not rewatchable and people on the internet are going to hate me. So We uh, should get a teenager's <laughs> perspective. I should get my 16-year-old niece to uh, to watch it. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. That'd be really fun. Because <laughs> I'd love to know what a teen thinks of it now. We should just have a teen watching all the old crappy movies that we <laughs> rewatch. <laughs> yeah. That's their detention. We should we should go to a high school. Oh, my God. That's a brilliant detention, idea. They do a podcast. It's the Breakfast Club program. <laughs> anyway, uh, is there anything that you'd like to, to pitch, uh, Brady, before we let you go? Pitch? Yeah, that's anything that you're doing, anything pitch. that you want to... That's not the word. Well, <laughs> anything... Pitch? Shout out. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, no, I mean, um, just the podcast, I guess, if you're, if you're listening to this and you want to check out a podcast about it's nothing that what we're talking about right now, but sex, I guess, and that 
teenage and early experiences of, of sex, then those Ew. are the kinds of conversations we have. <laughs> I know, I know. I didn't have sex until I was like 18, and that felt late. Still seems young. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, because my niece is like, yeah, I had sex when I was 12. I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's a different time. Oh. Um, she's on the podcast. She's she's a guest. I got my older sister on the show, too. She's uh, She gives some blowjob tips. It's like, it's a pretty fun show. Um, I highly recommend you check it out. TurnMeOnPodcast.com. Well, we'll okay. definitely do that. Yeah. Right, <laughs> Go <good>. there, yeah. <laughs> um, and thanks so much for coming on. This is this is great. Thanks yeah, for, nice uh, talking thanks to for you being guys. here. And you listening at home, thank you so much for listening. You can check us out on Facebook.com slash Rewatchability, Twitter at Rewatchability, and uh, you can go to Patreon.com slash Rewatchability to give if you want to. Thanks so much for uh, being in detention with us this podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.